So, I was at the local archive today and left some minutes, I think the name is in English. Uh, annual meeting minutes. I always find it incredibly awkward to translate those uh, words that have a very distinct meaning in Swedish and translate it to English. And it always feels strange because I never encountered them in English. Anyway, so I left the annual meeting minutes there to the archivist and she promised to put them into uh, the organization's archive. Mm. And that made me think, how do you handle digital information or how do you handle digital information in a more general way? Because it's one of those, yeah, I have lots of VHS tapes and I don't know if the content on them will be readable in let's say, 10 years' time, and if it's readable, if I will have a machine to read them with, and so on. And it seems to be like that for all kinds of digital and analog content that isn't on paper. So there is a, you know, at irregular intervals, there seem to be some kind of apocalypse which destroys loads and loads of information that people have made. And it could be something very concrete, like the sacking and burning of the library in Alexandria. Yeah, overrated library, though. Indeed. But still. Or it could be something like bigger and slower, which we might be doing at the moment. Like bit rot. So, do you have your backups in order? Of the things I currently have on my computer mostly my backups are in order one big reason they are in order is that i don't really have a lot of things that i'm not that i'm not okay with losing on my on my for example my work computer that the only annoying thing about sort of burning out the hard drive on that one or something is that i would have to set it up again yeah I don't have all the config perfectly gitted and dot filed, but I also am not that particular about config. I I can just learn a new way if I if I end up reinstalling and get comfortable again. That's way too pragmatic. Mm. Yeah, <laughs> definitely fallen out of customization as a as a general rule. There are certain certain things that I I won't abide if the for example, if the OS is making noise, I'll fix that. Yeah, there's a ton of a ton of things I just don't bother adjusting. But when it comes to what I keep on my work computer, it's like, oh, Git repos. I don't mind if those go away. They're safely at a separate location. Uh, at most, I lose a little bit of data uh, or work that I hadn't pushed potentially, and it would be annoying to set up my dev environment again potentially. But it's nothing. Nothing too fancy. And when it comes to, for example, my videos and that material, everything there ends up as a part of the exchange with the editor. It also ends up on a cloud drive. I think we are, we're using a Backblaze B2 right now to for interchange. And so both the raw materials and the finished cut end up on that server. But when it comes to the private side, all our computers are running some sort of backup solution. I would probably be running the same backup solution on this Linux box if it weren't for 
the fact that Backplace does not provide a Linux client because they don't want data orders from the Linux side. Huh. So uh, it only works on my Macs and my Windows computers, which is unfortunate. Backplace seems like a very good place to have your backups. Yeah, it's been very decent for me. Cool. It's a little bit chatty when it comes to computers that haven't been online for a while, just because it wants to make sure that it hasn't stopped backing them up properly. So if you don't start a computer in like two weeks, it's going to be like, oh, this one's missing. (laughs) Yeah. No, I just haven't started it uh, or haven't started for long enough that it ran a backup. No, but that's, uh, it's been, it's been quite good. And like most documents and stuff, also web services these days, (laughs) very few things are, are local photos and videos that I take on my phone probably the most sensitive thing i have for for sort of i don't want to lose pictures of my kids essentially and pictures of good times with family and friends and those right now uh, back up to i think both icloud and google photos so i think we have some redundancy there even though i'm not thrilled that that's the that's the approach it's also been more pain than i could bother with to to have an alternate yeah, I ran Sync thing for a little while on my Android phone. But that means that I need to have, I think the setup at the time meant that I had to have a computer online on the LAN network when uh, my Android phone got home, so to speak. Yeah, okay. So I'll- I think TailScale would probably make that easier now. Yeah, I suppose I could put... I could make some arrangement with a virtual private server and magic. I just can't be bothered for some reason. Yeah, I just set up Nextcloud for um, my wife's end of the business, actually. So uh, from a GDPR perspective, Google Drive is questionable. Yeah. (laughs) And uh, she does accounting for a few other companies as well. So I figured eh, I'll set up Nextcloud and I don't want to faff around with figuring out how to set up Nextcloud and sort of learn everything about administering Nextcloud. So I went to Hetzner and uh, paid for uh, what they're calling a share box, I think, which is uh, they manage Nextcloud for you. Nice. Yeah, uh, seems fine. Yeah, I, yeah. For more of what you were saying about sort of old backups and stuff. I've definitely picked up one or two of my old backup CDs and tried to read it and had no luck. Oh no. But though and those are sort of older backups of typically my drawings or whatever whatever I was up to at the time. I think the unreadable ones are also uh, copied on drive somewhere. And I have a few hard disks <laughs> piled in a corner that I should probably slurp the data off of and put them on newer drives that are hopefully more reliable and sort of refresh that timer to untimely demise. Yeah, Maybe put them on solid state just so they don't take a hit. I don't know. But I do have some sort of old stashes from when I've taken one computer and it's like, oh, I'm getting a new computer. 
do I really copy everything from the old one to the new one or do I start over? And it typically ends up somewhere in the middle where I end up with a folder on the new computer that is essentially everything from the old computer (laughs) in case I need it. Yeah. And then next time you get a computer, you copy the most of the contents of the computer plus the backup of the old computer. And over time, you end up with this sort of both a bunch of separate sets of backups, but also nested backups. (laughs) Yeah, in a recursive, self-reverential way, because I suppose you've copied things from the old computer to the new, new computer and so on. So there are copies here and there. Yeah, of course. Yeah. I would be super curious to actually build some kind of thing that can just crawl through one of these backups probably put it on an nvme drive first uh, but then crawl through these backups run md5s on all files and just figure out how much they can dedupe yeah and uh, try to try to structure up those backups a little bit there might also be two or three personal music collections let's say yeah uh, in the pile somewhere but of course though those haven't been in active use since Spotify started being getting good. And then Spotify went bad again. Yeah. They're still not in use though. Oh, okay. Good point. They just had to get over that threshold and then it didn't really matter. Yeah. Eventually I might go back, but I am not certain. Yeah. How's your backup situation? It's very custom, very artisanal. It makes me a bit scared to say that, actually. (laughs) Um, So I have have my um, sister's ancient computer uh, that I built for her, could be 20 years ago now. And I got it back when she moved to Australia. She has since moved back. Uh, She did the backpacker thing a long time ago. Uh, So I got that computer. Uh, and then I put some uh, big disks into it and put free BSD on the computer. So it runs uh, ZFS on those disks and runs Borg to handle the backups. Uh, and then I have a small script on my laptop and on my uh, workstation that do backups. And that's about it. And it's quite good. And I would lose everything I have in inform- data way, information way-ish, if the house I live in burns down. So, yeah, I'm not really satisfied with the situation yet. And I haven't done anything more serious about it for... I don't know why I haven't done anything more serious about it. I think it just feels good enough. Yeah. What kind of data volumes are we talking about? It's uh, about a terabyte, maybe two. Because there are thousands and thousands of uh, photographs. I've been uh, having photography as a hobby for a long time now. Yeah, your Instagram is a worthwhile follow. Oh, thank you. Uh, It's... Or at least it was last time I was on Instagram. (laughs) (laughs) I I think it still is, kind of, or maybe not. If you're into the absurd, 
that's a good start. And I'm not taking as much photos anymore as I did before because Instagram has gone the uh, gone over to the dark side like uh, TikTok. So they are they aren't showing my uh, photos to my followers for some reason because they want me to do reels and I don't want to do reels. I want to take photos. So come on, get real. Nah, I'm I'm one of those complex types. So yeah. Also, the Instagram photos, they aren't backed up at all. I just push them to Instagram and go, yeah, if they disappear, they disappear. Sometimes it's a little bit satisfying to know that something is sort of ephemeral as well. Yeah, absolutely. It's, yeah, it's a very good thing to just say, this had a good, (laughs) this was a good one, and now it's over. Yeah. Photos aside, there's very little of my old backups that I really, really would be sad to lose. Like, there's certainly things there that could be cool to show my kids in 10 years and be like, this is what I did in my teens. (laughs) (laughs) I did some drawing. But overall, it's not that important to me. Uh, So if Bitrot gets a few of those drives. That's, that doesn't feel super important to me. But yeah, it's a tricky thing with all these photos because it's so much easier to take photos now, but you still don't want to lose them. Yeah. But I keep thinking I should turn photos into photo albums have, because otherwise you don't really look at them properly. Yeah, have some more context. Yeah, and some curation and really slim down those hundreds and hundreds of baby photos into something that's in a book. Yeah. Now, my older kid uh, definitely does look at a lot of photos and pictures because that's one of the things she she sort of begs us for when it comes to watching screens and looking at our phones and stuff. It's like, oh, I want to sit and look at pictures. Wow. That's I mean it feels better than lots of kids shows that I've seen. Yeah. But it's it's also ends up being a sort of mindless thing. Um it's a, the balance of parenting when there's screens around sounds dangerous. But but she at least does she does uh, avail herself of the archive of photos that exists. So cool. If you're not careful she'll become an archivist when she grows up that would be fantastic we need one of those yeah Mm. oh if you want some some unsolicited advice or something oh yeah i love unsolicited advice go for it yeah (laughs) there's an amazing app or game called dragon box algebra dragon box algebra yeah so it's a way to teach kids algebra without them knowing about it so it starts with uh, something like uh, make sure there are as many eggs of each type, dragon eggs of each type on each side of this line or something. So they are balanced and it all involves grown up dragons too, I think. And when all of that is, all of those levels are done, uh, they start to replace the eggs and dragons with letters and numbers and operators. So suddenly the kid knows algebra. Suddenly math. Suddenly math. Yeah. 
And I think that's a lovely kind of sharing math education or something. That sounds good. Looked a bit here and uh, five plus. So I need to wait a few more years. Cool. Probably before it starts sticking. Yeah. I'd be very surprised if my daughter turns into an archivist, but you never know. Indeed. He's a wild one at the moment. But... A wild archivist. Yeah. I guess those are also a thing. I mean, I, I almost turned into a librarian. Some people would say I'm a little bit unruly. Yeah, that still fascinates me. And I almost turned into a librarian. Yeah, uh, I think you would have made an amazing librarian, but it's still strange for some reason. Yeah, well, I couldn't get a programming job. Yeah. And, and it turns out both of my sisters work as librarians instead. Oh, cool. Neither of them have uh, the education. Okay, so you almost have the education and you don't work as a librarian while they don't have the education and work as librarians. Yep. Huh, reality is strange. That's how we do it. Absolutely. Did you study any information science, by the way? Well, the topic is called, uh, the subject for a librarian is called library and information science. Cool. So you know how to... Two years. Wow. So you know how to structure information so it can be retrieved again, because that's one of the... I've been looking around the Google Drive uh, at my job, and there are so <laughs> many golden nuggets of information that's absolutely useless. And also, <laughs> because we're not the same company that we were like three months ago, and they can't be found. <laughs> so, yeah. I, I think Google Drives are inherently impossible but otherwise yes <laughs> <laughs> okay cool <laughs> yeah i think i would would have more luck with finding things on google drives if i could just download them all or well the ones i want to find things on and grep through all the files well i think there's a number of solutions for actually syncing a google drive to your local drive lovely I think that was how the COO of my last job managed to destroy the entire Google Drive of the company by having a an out-of-date Google Drive extension or whatever it was, a dodgy <laughs> one. Ouch. Yeah. Google helped our admins recover it at some point, I think. Yeah. But uh, yeah. <laughs> It's good when the, it's the boss that does it. Absolutely. It should only be bosses that screw up so badly. Yeah. Wow. But bit rot is a fascinating, fascinating aspect of backups. What kind of bit rot? Just the fact that over time, like a single bit could deteriorate. Yeah. And an MP3 could get less and less listenable just by virtue of having lived on unreliable drives and not getting a clean copy off of it. But that's like just playing an old record, LP record, because every time you play it, you remove some of the material from the record. So the sound becomes worse every time. On the other hand, the MP3 file would probably be not become as bad. This depends, of course, on the file system and all that. It just becomes bad by existing. Yeah, so... A vinyl record deteriorates sort of gradually in an analog fashion, yep. I think, unless it gets scratched, in which case it will uh, often uh, create a fascinating loop or something. Absolutely. 
while an mp3 deteriorates into blips and bloops or stutters and that kind of that kind of noise i think the degradation of an mp3 when it degrades is much less graceful and much less interesting because it will typically go sort of noisy or undetectable and then uh, broken yeah Mm. the most interesting type of bit rot you see on the internet is probably jpeg compression on jpeg compression yes absolutely i think there's an xkcd about this one and that one also one of the you know all of those meme spreading sites i think they've stopped existing the most of them by now but nine gag and so on and all of them add like their icon in some corner of the image yeah yeah while compressing the image hard and everything becomes just blurrier and blurrier until there's just a gray blur with a with a whole stack of logos in the corner yeah i guess that's the future yeah more stacks of logos less clarity by the way i just read snow crash oh preparing for the metaverse absolutely it's a fascinating book it has quite a lot of cool ideas and also there are some seriously problematic things in it and that makes it even better uh so yeah and you could say that it's a a work of its time. It's written in eighty nine, ninety two, ninety three, something like that. Yeah. And yeah, and I realized that when I first read the book, I was of the same age as the one of the protagonists, Y.T. Mm. So that's kind of strange. And now I suppose I'm more in the age of Hiro. So yeah, I'm glad that the book always seemed to have a bit of a tongue-in-cheek sense of itself i mean it was never a very serious book yeah so any any sort of any poor aging on its part is probably pretty acceptable just due to like it it never took itself all that seriously like when the main character is named hero protagonist (laughs) that's um, good you're pretty (laughs) you're pretty clearly okay with making fun of yourself yeah the weird thing is that current current corporate overlords seem to think like, no, no, this is an instruction. Yeah, that always gets me. It's, yeah. The tastelessness of the filthy rich. Absolutely. Uh, the incredible lack of creativity sometimes. Yeah, and it's, it's <laughs> don't be evil, lol. <laughs> it's also like 1984 isn't a manual. Snow crash isn't a manual please <laughs> yeah yeah I, I feel like musk is the guy who took too much inspiration from sort of snow crash and ender's game like everything should be a pop culture joke to him and it's like this really really surface level analysis of the world and just just try to try to fix it with cool attitude pop culture references yeah and then then we have the other end where it's like Facebook and Mark Zuckerberg has just has no grip at all, especially it seems like Mark and the whole metaverse uh, attempt just no grip at all of what they look like doing this. Everyone wants to work in the metaverse. Do you really want to spend time in reality? <laughs> Don't you want to have meetings? It's, it's just a it's like they're designing dystopia up front. <laughs> 
Yeah. It's not like they're ending up with dystopia. It's just like they're going straight for it. Boom. But now they released the or they're releasing a new headset that's much, much more expensive and for uh corporations. So I guess yay. I suppose so. I wonder how they will will make everything work properly. Uh at the co-working space where I work when I'm not working from home or from some part of the forest in northern part of Sweden. Um, the Wi-Fi is really bad, both in the forest and at the co-working space, but even more so at the co-working space, because I suppose everyone is doing meetings over yeah, Zoom, whatever, everything. Mm. Uh, so there's lots of data shuffling going on. And I was thinking, what would happen if I, if we would connect to the metaverse at the co-working space, it would probably be absolutely horrible <laughs> because everyone, everything would freeze all the time. So it depends a little bit because something about VR chats and stuff is that you can compress that data a lot more than you can a video stream. Indeed. Because you're only sending three-dimensional coordinates and we've done that before. They're called video games. Yep. And you can also maintain sort of responsiveness by keeping the local movement going even if the remote is uh, lagging and then you can sort of tween between positions and stuff the the opportunity for amazing glitches is there yeah yeah it is uh yeah i've been keen to revisit vr mostly because i really like dancing games in the past and beat saber seems nice yeah and absolutely i really enjoyed the vr i've tried i've tried on when the HTC Vive came out. Mm -hmm. VR is, is fun. Uh, it's very unfortunate that it's connected to Facebook. But on the note of sort of continuing the corporate overlords thing, you mentioned Google and like they used to be so cool. I know, right? They were the hip company that could do no wrong. They were like trailblazing this idea of how different a company could really be and they released revolutionary products like gmail on after google search gmail was really a knockout and one cool thing about google was that i don't think even though they had two well-known leaders it didn't feel like a cult of personality not like the apple and steve jobs those were always sort of heavy on the leadership side but it was more like, no, Google is a cool place to work full of geniuses. Yeah. And now it's like Google is this colossus that has no idea what it's doing, sort of struggling to get things done. The last stuff I read about Google was like, oh, we need to tighten down on things here and there because now now we're counting the beans and we're, we're coming up short or we're less profitable than we want to be essentially it's like oh it's gonna be a tough time it's like you're you're very profitable you're fine uh, but of course you want to you want to make a show of it i guess for shareholders or whatever yeah they are they are um they exist on the stock exchange exchange so it's important to do something grand yeah and it was like we're gonna have to cut back on travel within the company it's like is that going to move the needle at all for that company or are you just going to strangle some of the fun out of it for, for the people that are there? Oh, it just doesn't make sense to me. I think it's the strangle part. 
everyone really needs to chip in. It's like, <laughs> <laughs> this company's not in trouble yet. Indeed. Uh, come on. Uh, have you listened to the co-recursive podcast? Uh, not recently. Uh, I do. I do when I get a strong recommendation on an episode, but I don't listen to it consistently. Okay, here's a strong recommendation. There's an episode about Android, the operating system, and how it uh, was developed within Google as a, you could say a skunkworks, depending on the definition of a skunkworks, but if the idea is uh, uh, a part of the company where the rest of the company aren't allowed to poke around too much, then absolutely a skunkworks. I heard about that where the way Google was recruiting wasn't working for the Android team. Yeah. So they started recruiting without sort of these requirements of fancy universities and stuff. And just, we want people that are enthusiastic about embedded. Yeah. That's, that's so interesting and so strange. Like, how do you recruit good people? How do you recruit people that a company needs now? Uh, and not people that a company will need in three years or two years ago or something. so i'm thinking about that now and then and if you give me 10 to 20 more years i might have an idea about an answer to the question i'm always keen on recruiting mostly on personal fit and i generally operate on the scale where i can also go off of recommendations so cool i really don't envy needing to scale to a recruiting system in the way that, for example, Google does, because I don't think there is a really good way to consistently recruit in a fair and equitable fashion, as well as getting what you need from candidates. And like all these tests and all these rounds of meetings and evaluations and interviews and conversations, I just don't see that it can reasonably provide the value it's supposed to. Maybe it does for some organizations, but it also filters out entire classes of people that just don't want to deal with it. Yeah. I would not sit through multiple interviews for a megacorp right now. Me neither. I don't have time for that. Like I could make time for it, but right now, uh, recent years, I've no had absolutely no interest in any, any large companies. There are some some interesting startups that are probably becoming quite large that I'd consider like if I needed to get a job, a normal job, then yeah, maybe I'd talk to, for example, Superbase because they, they do a bunch of Elixir. They do a bunch of cool things with Postgres, like an interesting company. And I think they're, they're reaching some kind of scale and there, there are other companies that are doing neat stuff. Some of them I wouldn't be, nearly qualified for uh but some maybe yeah yeah it's interesting i like to talk to recruiting companies just to just to remember how to be nice to recruiters Hmm. no i didn't mean to say that uh just to remember how to talk to recruiters perhaps or how to talk to a cdo or some other technical person that's involved in mm. the recruitment process. And also to, because I'm quite curious about what's happening out there. What are other companies using Elixir for? Or whatever technology there's 
I'm curious about at the moment. Um, <laughs> what could my salary be? Absolutely. And I've come to the t conclusion that it could be higher. So, yeah. yeah. Uh, so now I'm hoping that the company I'm working for at the moment just um, wins at company. So I can get some more money <laughs> or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. You, you really need a big success and then you can get a raise or you can switch jobs. But I know you're not keen on doing that right now. Not right now. I have way too fun problems to solve. So it's, I think I've been nerd sniped or something. I don't know. Yeah. There is actually a lot of fun in, uh, the sort of problem space you're in right now yeah so and i'll definitely talk to other companies that's like this seems pretty straightforward and slightly dull in comparison but uh on the other hand they they can pay a steady salary <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah there's trade-offs yeah that's one of the really interesting trade-offs do i want to be bored eight hours a day and get more money or do I want to be excited 10 hours a day, get less money, and not have the energy to do almost anything else than work? So uh. Yeah, you need to work on the balance. Like You could just be excited six hours a day, I've, I've told you. you yeah, just, yeah, absolutely. Just lower the amount of hours you work, and it's, it's perfectly achievable. <laughs> <laughs> they say so. You have said it multiple times. I need yeah. to try harder, I think. Need to try harder at working less. Uh, yeah. Uh, watch it or I'll call your boss for you. <laughs> yeah. Or let me know when you want it and I'll call your boss for you. <laughs> <laughs> I am Andreas's negotiator. <laughs> he wants more salary. Salary? <laughs> he wants salary. more salary, but he also wants to work less. Yeah. So buy him some celery and uh, let him work less. Kaboom. <laughs> I'll show him that life. But did you get the sense when you left your minutes at the archivist that it was now taken care of? Did you get a sort of strong ack on... Did you feel like they committed the data to their write-ahead log? Did you feel secure that it would arrive? Absolutely. I got a receipt and all. So... Oh. I felt that they would. Well, if you have a receipt, the thing can absolutely cannot get lost. Ah, uh, yeah. <laughs> it was it was a strong act, though. So, yeah. got a good feeling about it, uh, and that's that's kind of important in that case because they now have the only copy of the minutes, hmm. and it's printed on Swedish archive paper which is a certified paper that's incredibly expensive, not very good, but it will last for thousands of years. In certain ways, it might be quite good. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But not in all ways. But I suppose that's true for all things, uh, trade-offs. Um, so that information will still be there, even if uh, the organization... Uh, spontaneously implodes so that's a good thing uh, and we're trying to get more of our archives into the actual archive 
and not in just in folders spread out among mm. too many people. Meeting minutes. Do they yeah. really need to last that long? Uh, it depends. Yeah. Uh, probably they are very good to have to see uh, who did what when, or like who had what responsibilities when. Uh, so, but then you could have them in it's a, in a searchable PDF, and that's more useful. Um, but for someone doing, say, in a hundred years, doing research on different theater associations around Sweden, then it would be very useful for them, I think. Like, yeah. how mi- how much money? Uh, did we spend on 2021? They could see that. It's in the minutes. So, yeah. Yeah. Archives are cool. I like them as a general as a general rule. I don't have much use for them myself. Um, I'm not a very researchy person. Ah, yeah. But I like that they're there. <laughs> Absolutely. Archives, libraries, theaters, um... They are very civilized things. Yeah. I really, really like libraries, but I never, almost never use them these days. Aside from right now, we borrow a lot of children's books, actually. That's a very nice way of not buying a ton of child crap. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, because like they get bored of the books. It's nice to have a rotation. So going off and borrowing books. But like when I was a teen and into my 20s, libraries... The library in Gothenburg, I read a ton of com- comics in. Uh, when I was up north, my teens, I read a ton of fantasy novels that I would never have bought through the library. Yeah, same here. Uh, it really, really just enables interest. This was before they had wide access to computers in libraries. Yeah. In my 20s, I did use uh, library computers a fair bit as well, just to have access to computers when I was studying and stuff. Cool. I think, no, I didn't use computers at the library. I think I've never done that properly, probably to print something sometime. Yeah. Also, there's a deer outside the window grazing. So just so you know. Uh, That's always good. I tend to look for birds of prey because I see a bit of the sky from where I am. Ah, nice. And now it's gone. Uh, yeah, libraries are good in that way that you usually don't see deer in them, but they provide lots of the the services needed for, like, printing, <laughs> finding information. Yeah, where, where else would you print something? Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Uh, last, last few years I've always had a printer. That's mostly because running business. Yeah, I've still not gotten a printer. I don't know if I should. I'm kind of cool with with uh, going to the university or a library or to work and print stuff. Yeah. Well, I do technically go to work to print stuff. That's true. But it's your company. Yeah. <laughs> That's the trick, isn't it? It is indeed. <laughs> <laughs>